the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When Prue said half a minute too long and they'll be burned, half a minute too short, and they won't have that crisp crack. And I'm thinking, that's impossible. I you know, my oven, even though I've got a lovely oven, I do end up with certain things at the back getting done and slightly before the, the ones at the front. And if it really comes down to, to 30 seconds difference between the perfect Florentine and, and an imperfect Florentine, well, I might as well hang my apron up, honestly. Hello and welcome back to the Bake Down podcast. We've just finished recording episode two of our current series and I'm delighted to say that Dan Beasley-Harling, who was a star, of course, of the series nine of Bake Off and the recipient of three Paul Hollywood handshakes, no less, which he may have mentioned, joined Howard, Jane and I this week for a look back on Biscuit Week. Thank you also for the emails and the comments you've been leaving on social media. Do remember to keep in touch with us. You can email us, thebakedown at bakewithlegend.com with any questions you have. And if you've ever met a great British Bake Off star or you have a story or something you want to share with us, just drop us an email. We'll be delighted to read it out. I can see that the last episode had listeners from as far afield as Germany, New Zealand, France, Netherlands, Mexico, Denmark, Switzerland, Belgium, Japan, Portugal, 
and many more countries. So if you are listening to this from somewhere interesting, do let us know. We'll be really glad to read out your message. We currently have our biggest ever collection of online classes on sale with many of our bakers. So please do visit bakewithalegend.com slash online classes to check out all of those, including Jaffa Cakes, Pastel Donata, Donuts, Macarons, and so much more, which you can all learn from the comfort of your own home. All you need is a computer, an iPad, or even your phone. Uh, and remember to use the code PODCAST for 10% off your first class. And if you're thinking of a team building event or a special birthday that you want to mark, we also offer private group events. For now, though, enjoy this week's podcast, which I started by asking Dan if he worries about upsetting his American followers by putting spoilers about the show on social media. Dan Beasley Harling first making his breakdown debut. Dan, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Are you finding you've got to be careful what you say on social media? You don't want to give anything away because Americans haven't seen it yet. Uh, pleasure. Thank you for having me, Josh. Um, no, I've reached an agreement with my followers that it is okay for them to mute and unfollow me during this time because uh, I do tweet furiously as the show's going out. Sometimes I wonder how much of the show I've actually seen uh, because I'm usually there on Twitter enjoying it in the moment. Um, but yeah, luckily only three more days. I'm doing my best not to completely ruin the episodes. Um, but hopefully this will be great for people to check in afterwards. And obviously we can uh, now not worry so much about spoilers. Jane, I had this moment last year where I put something about our beloved Henry in a title and upset lots of people that I'd inferred. I think they'd done particularly well in one week. Now we've had two weeks of watching everyone, Jane. Is there anyone you're enjoying watching as much as Henry? Because you really did have a, an affection for him last year. Oh, that's such a mean question, isn't it? Of course, I love all the new bakers. Um, and it does take a while to get to know them. I, the reason I absolutely adored Henry, apart from the fact he was utterly adorable and wore a tie, is that my son is a similar age to Henry. Um, and he's called Henry. So it was a natural affinity with the, the lovely chap who lived up to his name. Actually, somebody asked me the other day what happened to Henry. I saw him on social media recently, but I think he's been relatively quiet, hasn't he? Is he back being a student or, or something like that? Anyway, he's lovely. Uh, but I do I do think this year's bakers are a particularly lovely lot. And, and that's no offence to bakers in the past, um, apart from my series, who was the best ever. No offence, you guys. Um but they seem to be a really kind, gentle, caring group. And I don't know whether in COVID times, love have gone for a particularly warm and cuddly feel. Um, but I, I, can't, I can't choose between them at the moment. Maybe their dark side will come out as the episodes unfold. I, I agree on the theme that Jane was just saying, maybe because of COVID, maybe because they've all been in this biosphere, you'd expect a slightly closer knit group because they've probably spent an awful lot more time together because they haven't had to nip home to their, their families, particularly the ones that get through to the latter stages. But even for all of them, they must have spent that first two weeks together. And therefore, maybe we're seeing a little bit more of the helping each other out or genuine concerns of finished fakes, Howard. What do you think? I think that's true, although um, there is the possibility that as the weeks go by, they might start to get on each other's nerves. And, uh, you know, if they've been spending so long together, you might see a bit more tension appearing. So we'll have to look out for that. 
have actually had an email from uh, Ali, I think over in America. Hello, the Bait Down Podcast. Firstly, thank you so much for doing this podcast. It's one of my favourites that I listen to every week. Uh, I think this is a question on the back of the Battenberg that we saw last week. Here's my question dilemma. I want to try out so many of the bakes that I see on the show, but I have a nut allergy, so I can't use marzipan or frangipan, etc. What can you recommend that I use instead so that I can give this these a go? So I've just sprung this on you. Um, Howard, do you, do you have any recommendations on this? Oh, thank you, Josh. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's possible. Because I, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm thinking a lot of the bakers did use alternatives to almonds, but there were still nuts in the marzipan. So I don't know whether you can do. I think it is possible to do a marzipan without nuts. And I think it's something, uh, if I'm not mistaken, something like ground rice um, that you can do a marzipan with. And um, and I think put flavouring in that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so I spoke to, uh, Ro- I speak to Rosie from last season a little bit, and she has nut allergy and does a lot of nut- nut-free baking. And I know that she makes macaron with rice flour and white chocolate and i think so maybe you could do something about mixing rice flour and white chocolate and that would create something relatively pleasing but yeah i don't think anyone here is uh, a nut allergy expert i think howard's got you on gluten free but I, I don't know jane do you know anything um no i don't really any more than you guys have said except that nancy burt whistle winner back in what series? I don't know. I lose track. But she did a, a money-saving tip on Bakewell tarts, and I'm pretty sure she used ground rice in that instead of ground almonds. And if it works for a Bakewell, it should work, give you a similar texture um, for a marzipan. So I would give that a go. Um, yeah, try it. I mean, it's like all of us bakers, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. I mean, that's what i do all the time now if I can't get something perfect whereas I used to before Bake Off go oh god well I'm never making those again I now actually persevere until I can recreate what somebody else has made and has been incredibly successful so yeah give it a go and look up Nancy's money saving Bakewell tarts and that might well help Super. Well, I hope that helps. And thank you for listening. Um, We also had an email from Ali uh, here in London where Dan and I live. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. It's fantastic to have you to accompany the new series. Um, This was a question addressed at Howard and Jane, but Dan, I think this will be appropriate to you. Have you been following some of the new contestants on social media and were they already following you? So this is a bit of an ego question. Did you find that any of the uh, people that have gone into the new series who were already following you? Dan, we just spoke about this. So were they? Well, I don't think so. So I went and followed them, um, and I believe pretty much all of them followed me straight back. Um, But I did the same thing. I wasn't really on social media before my season, and so I wasn't following all the bakers from previous seasons either. So I think that's very common. I I think a lot of people um, aren't... Or if they are on things like Instagram, they probably have a private account that's just for, you know, their own personal photos. So, um, no, I don't think any of them were following me, but I'm pretty sure they all are now. (laughs) It's not that they didn't want to follow you, Dan, at all. I'm sure that's not the reason. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Howard, I know you're not a full-time Instagram 
uh, influencer, let's say. But have you have you found yourself having a look at some of the the new bakers? Or have you not yet taken that step? No, I, I have. I um, yeah. So I, I followed some of the new bakers, and I did. But I think Mark was already following me. So yeah, I think a couple of them were already following me. Um, mm, I think we had a bit of a conversation last week about Peter because he said he'd watched every series so far. And I was slightly disappointed to see that although he's watched every series so far, he wasn't following me at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Fair to Peter. It could just be that his parents haven't allowed him to have an Instagram account yet. He could be, <laughs> could be waiting for that. I did see that John Waite responded, didn't he, on social media. Did you spot this, Dan? He'd yes. that he'd been referenced in this episode, which I'm trying to think, and I've watched a lot of Bake Off, as, as all of us have. Is that the first time a former contestant's been referenced in an episode ever? Do you reckon, Dan? I don't know, but I thought it was quite a funny role reversal because sort of John Waite was fangirling that some baker had had uh, referenced him and it seemed the wrong way around. I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, that's actually, he was talking about listening to the cakes for when they're ready. And that's a really good tip. I didn't realise that John had said that first. I thought it was Val who listened to her cakes to hear them singing. I don't know. Yes, she did. But that was singing as opposed to talking. Val took um. it one step further, I think. <laughs> <laughs> We're thrilled to have Dan with us to review the latest week in the tent. And week two was Biscuit Week. And Jane, the first task of uh, the second episode, a batch of 36, exactly 36, Florentines. Now, this is something that I know you've made at Bait with the Legend classes and something you, you quite enjoy making. Is that fair to say, Jane? Um, yes. I mean, I love a Florentine. I was given a recipe... Oh, God, I'm giving my age away now. Probably back in the 70s from a friend of mine who I was at university with that was an absolutely fail-safe recipe. And I lost it somewhere along the way. Um, and I have been searching for the best Florentine recipe ever since. And I have sleepless nights over Florentines because it looks like it's a relatively simple challenge, doesn't it? But actually, you've got to get the caramel right. You've got to get the bake right, the size of your nuts right. Um, your dried fruit, can, it can go really chewy because the longer it bakes, the more your whatever fruit you're putting in toughens up and you get these hard little lumps. So it, there are so many ways to make it. And yes, I have made them at Bake with a Legend class and will be making them in a Bake with a Legend class again for Christmas, um, along with Biscotti. So watch this space, guys. And I have been working on a new recipe. Um, we have got an awful lot of Florentines sitting here at home um, waiting to be chocolated. Some of them with no snap, I have to say, but I've got now the perfect fail-safe recipe guys so if you want to learn how to make them check out the bake the legend website and look at my class but they're tricky little beasts um absolutely delicious but not as easy as the viewers might um not that might might think from watching that episode because i think they all did a pretty good job of it to be honest but how was your snap when you made the florentines howard how do you think you would have fared it my, I don't always achieve a snap, I, I must admit, and I know that will surprise you because normally I'm such a professional when it comes to baking. But, <laughs> uh, but no, it's uh, what did worry me, and, and um, it's not going to be my, my hump of the week, but when Prue said half a minute too long and they'll be burnt, half a minute too short, and they won't have that crisp crack, 
And I'm thinking, that's impossible. I don't, you know, my oven, even though I've got a lovely oven, I do end up with certain things at the back getting done and slightly before the, the ones at the front. And if it really comes down to, to 30 seconds difference between the perfect Florentine and, and an imperfect Florentine, well, I might as well hang my apron up, honestly. And just one thing that to add to that with your wonky oven, Howard, um, but he's so right, you know, if it's on one shelf, it cooks a bit faster, blah, blah, blah. But also to remember that when you take it out of the oven, caramel carries on cooking. Um, you know, if you're making it in a saucepan and you know all know how good I was at making caramel in the tent. Um, if you're making it in a saucepan, you've got to take it off the, the heat and cool it down if you don't want it to cook anymore. And the same thing happens with Florentine. So you can take them out when you think they're fraction underdone, I think, leave them on your hot baking tray and they just finish off cooking. So if you take them out when you think they're perfect, they might overbake sitting on the tray in the next couple of minutes. So they're really, really tricky. They're definitely tricky. Are they trickier, Dan, if you start trying to get waistcoats involved like Mr. Rowan? Rowan is one of my early favourites um, just because he's so sassy and he's sort of... I, I enjoy that he's that he's not taking it too seriously. He's having a bit of fun with it. Um, but, yeah, some of the decoration... I think there's the thing. When you get the briefs for Bake Off, there's, um, you sort of feel this real pressure to sort of go the extra mile and do something really special. And I think sometimes that's where you can uh, really come a, come a cropper. And he's obviously just run out of time to finish it there. But I have to say, I just want to come back quickly on the Florentines. And I want to get um, Jane and Howard's opinion on this. Because I was screaming at the television when they were baking the Florentines in moulds. Um, I'm very uh, opinionated. I have a lot of opinions about baking, and I'm convinced that my way is the only right way. Um, I'm very much like a sort of purist. And for me, Florentines, obviously, they're going to not going to be u completely uniform if you don't bake them in a mould. But I like the fact that they have the super crispy edges where they've gone really, really thin. And that's, for me, I like them like a bit chewy in the middle with a really crispy edge. Like, I really like that. And I think maybe that's the traditional way. But, I mean, Jane, you've probably spent more time uh, looking at Florentines than I have. What's, what's your opinion on that? I certainly wouldn't make them in a mould. I... I always wonder how people, when you buy them in the shops, they're perfect, aren't they? They must be baked in a mould. Um, I always hand form them. And if I want them to be a bit neat and posh, um, as they come out and as they're cooling, I'll just sort of move the edges in. So I don't mind if the edges are, um, are, are really thin or a little bit thicker because they're quite delicate, aren't they, if they go too thin. Mm. But, yeah, hand mould them. And then with a silicon spatula, just tidy them up if you want them perfect but you know maybe i'll give them a go in a mold that might solve the neatness problem but you, know, you don't need to be buying molds or tins for a lot of this stuff i i think um i think as far as a, a viewer is concerned and i love the fact that we've got some accessible bakes this year um yeah, busts of david attenborough aside so far the signature and the technical have actually been things you can make at home and there's been a lot there was a lot of talk on twitter about buying a tin in america for a battenberg at 101 dollars is just ridiculous you know i think it's up to us to also make it accessible for anybody at home who wants to bake so if you haven't got loads of silicon molds do it by hand because it's the way most of us do it all the time and they're just as delicious
Okay, well, let's talk about some of the actual bakers. And Howard, you and I share something in common here, which is that we have no handshakes in the Great British Bake Off tent. So let's talk about Lottie. Um, <laughs> You're being cruel today. <laughs> You're quite mean, Josh. <laughs> I only could say that because I know I could get away with it, Howard. Um, what did you make of Lottie? Um, she did really well. Like she, she was congratulated for the chocolate cherry uh, and dark chocolate flavour that that all built into something that was worthy of the first handshake of the series. I, 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 yeah, I loved what Lottie did. I thought it was great that she took a very kind of informal approach to the decoration. She was doing this kind of Jackson Pollock like splashing with the with the chocolate, and yeah, I think it. I think they looked great. Very, very appetising. I think actually did Lottie trim her Florentine. She'd gone in with a mm. um, a cookie cutter or something like that to get the um to get the perfect shape. But yeah, I, I thought it was um I thought it was a lovely um a lovely effort. I wasn't entirely happy about the handshake, I have to say. I've become a little bit sort of um avert, risk averse, I think. And I thought, oh I thought if this was one series where they could have managed without a handshake, um I think I probably would have done have had a little COVID safe commendation or something like that. Howard, Howard, you're speaking to the first person to ever receive three handshakes. So I think I'd like to say that the handshake is a vital part of the show, very important, and everyone loves it. Josh, can you mute him? We don't want to hear about his three handshakes. Thank you very much. I think the handshake sometimes you do... I understand why sometimes people feel that they're a little bit overdone. Um, But if, if anyone did deserve one I think that Lottie did I like the fact that they were you know the decoration was a little bit interesting but they were very classic they're very classic flavors with the classic dark chocolate I think it worked I thought that that was great I that's the sort of thing I would have made so I was uh I th- I thought that was I thought it was deserved and I, 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 did, I did think as well really witty to call them quarantine Florentines I thought what lovely <laughs> I, I love that name we do love a pun, don't we? I think that was just a lesson to all budding Bake Off contestants is you don't, in the way that Dan was talking about it, you don't have to throw the kitchen sink at it like Rowan is. The important thing is to get an absolutely delicious bake and to be able to achieve it in the time. And I think we're all guilty of overcomplicating bakes when we're on the show. But Lottie just stuck to what she knew and fulfilled the brief and created something delicious that looked gorgeous. Was there anything else from those that had uh, tried something a little bit different for the uh, Florentines that caught your eye? Perhaps, Howard, anything that caught your eye? Um, I, I was intrigued about Peter's caramelised white chocolate. I've, I've never mm. uh, tried that before. So I, it looked as if he put this white chocolate into these large vats and was then doing something in the oven with it. So I don't know whether, I've, I've never caramelised white chocolate, but it sounded as if it produced um, a very uh, deep, interesting flavour. So probably something to try. And for Paul Hollywood to say that something's unique is, is quite a compliment, I, I would say. Dan, Dan, would you agree? Was there anything else that caught your eye? No, um, I would say the same. I've never actually tried uh, caramelising white chocolate myself, um, but I think we all know that white chocolate is kind of very sickly sweet and not particularly interesting. So I think if there's anything we can do to make it more interesting, then great. I've actually never tried ruby chocolate, um, so I'm getting really behind on my chocolate. I need to, I need to get involved. Um, yeah, 
but I, it's always nice when something someone does something creative with the baking and not not just crazy decoration but also just trying something different and interesting with the baking i really enjoy that so um i'll probably give that a go actually um see how i get on I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Well, let's move on and talk about the technical challenge from this week. It was to make 12 hand-shaped coconut macaroons, six filled with chocolate, six piped with mango curd, and they were given one hour, 45 minutes to make these. Jane, what did you make of this one then? I think it was described as classic. Um, I think certainly in my generation and my kids will always remember going to see their grandmother and she was always bought a packet of coconut macaroons from wherever she bought them from um yes they are a classic and they're absolutely delicious i love coconuts um but I'm, i've never had one with chocolate in the middle and i've never had one with mango curd so i'm not 100 sure how classic the chocolate and the mango curd actually is nevertheless i thought it was a lovely challenge i'm not quite sure why they gave them coconut flakes instead of desiccated coconuts or was it just to pad the time out a bit or i don't know um but a nice one i think i'll make them again if there's a resurgence in the popularity of coconut mac macaroons i certainly would not be sad um one thing i think it was quite difficult i thought is piping it with a star nozzle um, we did, uh, what did they call it, Botanicals Week in our, our series, and we had to do uh, a citrus meringue, and I put coconut in my meringue on top of my lime meringue pie, um, and I was going to pipe it, and it's even though I blitzed my desiccated coconut a bit, it is almost impossible to pipe out of a star tube. Um, so I'm going to have to give this another go because I thought that was the tricky bit. I thought Dave was good it was him wasn't it that said um it looks as though they should be in the oven for about 25 minutes because if you look at how long we've got to do it and work back and I thought that was a really good technique we were always told that we didn't plan our technicals well enough and we we needed to look at the finish time and work back and I thought he did really really well um yeah good thinking if he's thinking on his feet like that now he's going to be absolutely brilliant I think Dave he's one of my ones to watch yeah well dave had a, a great week obviously coming first mm. in the technical up from ninth the previous week howard did you notice that peter when talking about this challenge said he had made them donkeys ago <laughs> well i mean what when he was five six when do you think peter first made these howard i think oh, it's it, it's what young people are like isn't it it's relative i suppose yeah <laughs> Unless he has been, unless he's been reincarnated or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Well, well, Peter ended up coming fairly low down in this, having sort of starred pretty pretty well. Were you surprised to see him sort of fall a, a, a little bit? He didn't get the best feedback. I think I think it's 
I, I think it's difficult because I think sometimes when you approach a technical, um, it's, it's quite often something you've never done before. Um, and sometimes it's something which you think you have done before, but it's a slightly different approach. And so he may have felt slightly comfortable about the fact that he made them donkeys ago, but they were asking for something slightly different to, um, to the, the method that he'd used. I would say the big thing for me, um, or the main thing that seemed to separate the macaroons, was really just bake time. Um, some people massively underbaked them. Some people, um, you know, got them right. They do need to be uh, quite golden, actually. And it, obviously, if you don't know, you don't know. And Peter's did look almost raw, bless him. They were very neat. He'd obviously he'd done the curd well. They were nicely decorated, but they were pretty undercooked. And I think that really was the difference between being at the top end and being at the bottom end for, for a lot of them just literally how long that they, they'd cooked them for. Rowan referred to his as looking like a cat's lavatory. He has got a wonderful turn of phrase. That's exactly what I've written down here, cat's lavatory. And nobody else on the show could have said that, could they? I think he's absolutely hilarious. Um, I don't think they look... I don't know what a cat's lavatory looks like, actually, except for it used to be my garden used to be a cat's lavatory. Um, I thought... No, he's hilarious. I, I hope he stays in right to the end, just because I think he's really, really, really funny. But one thing, they had to cut those circles out of the rice paper. I mean, have, have you guys all made coconut macaroons? Not on yeah. rice paper. Oh, have you not? Oh, no. no. Old school, Dan, you young oh, whippersnapper, right. you. Um, <laughs> but I would never have cut them out. I would have, it's so much, cut in the time. How many do they have to make? 12, 12, six, six chocolate, six piped curds ones. And just leave it on the rice paper. And then as the rice paper cooks and crisps up, just break it off as you take them out of the oven. Why, why did they have to spend 20 minutes or 15 minutes cutting out circles? I just thought that was a waste of time, really. But if that's all I can find to moan about the challenge, then it can't have been a bad one, can it be? I think it's been lovely that, as you say, the challenges are more accessible. Um, you know, I, obviously I pay attention to the things that people say on Twitter. And last year people were really a little bit fed up that they felt they couldn't immediately take home the challenges and make them themselves. So I think something like the, like the, the macaroons has been great. I think a lot of people are already excited about making them and they can join in. So, But yeah, I wouldn't. I, I, why can't you just cut it on baking paper? Why doesn't that work? Does it stick? It, it, well, whether it sticks or not, it just holds the whole thing together. And sometimes oh. we used to put chocolate on the bottom. And if you think about the um, the curd one, there was I don't think there was any of the mixture underneath the curd. I think there was just a circle. That's what it looked like to me. And then the curd was in the top. I couldn't quite see how they'd done it. But it makes it all just so much more manageable. And if, if you think you want it gooey in the middle, it necessarily then has to be really sticky underneath so if you've got it on rice paper it's just really easy to deal with see i dip mine in chocolate that's what i do well we, we all love a chocolate bottom um, how howard it takes a few weeks to kind of for us as viewers to work out different people's talents because we did see as i mentioned dave having a very poor technical last week doing much better sure doing so well last week but falling into the middle this time it takes a few weeks for us as viewers to start getting a feel for who we think is going to get towards the end that's true and i think also the technical is a great level of it as well because 
um, you've not only got people who might have done one, one something similar before, um, but just people who can think on their feet as well and, and just think, what have I done that's a bit like this? You know, what what is my instinct telling me about how long this needs to be in the oven or, or whatever? Um, and I think that is, is one of the things that you really need in a technical, just the confidence to be able to make decisions about um, how to do things and, and how long to leave things in. Mm, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I, I thought one lovely, lovely, lovely thing this in the technical this time was when Mark, that's Mark with a K and not Mark with a C, his chocolate had seized just as he was piping his decoration and it, it obviously, you know, absolute disaster. And Lottie, I'm sure it was Lottie was behind him, handed over her piping bag with her spare chocolate. And, oh, I just thought that was just goes to show how lovely they all are. I mean, you just go, oh, no, I've used all my chocolate up and stick it in the bin um, and let him sink. But no, 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 that's not what they call. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that. I really wouldn't have done that. Um, but I thought that was really lovely and touching and um uh, you know, I just yeah it isn't bake off wonderful I have to say it's such a joy in these difficult times well let's move on to the showstopper which was an interesting challenge how would you have to say to come up with something so incredible from a 3d uh, biscuit setting and it was all to be centered around the memorable meal that you'd once had. What did you make of this just as generally as a challenge, Howard? You know, I loved this as a challenge because I thought I thought you'd got um, the fact that you were having to do something quite creative and impressive in biscuits, but actually you could do fairly manageable components. It's not as if you're having to stack them on top of each other and make a tower or suspend them and make a chandelier like, like some of the, um, the, the previous years. So I think I think the fact that you could do small manageable uh, items um, was actually quite interesting, really. There were some incredibly creative ideas that came through here, Jane, didn't you think? I mean, just tell us which were the few that most leapt up to you. As far as challenges go, I'll just go in there. I initially thought, oh, my God, I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to be... It, you know, I wouldn't want to do that. And actually, I watched it back um, and thought actually, Howard's actually right. It was really quite manageable with the moulding. Um, so the ones that stood out for me, obviously, was Dave. Um, it was just beautifully decorated. And I love the fact that he moulded in a gravy boat and and then stuck a base on the boat. I, I thought his was really creative and really colourful. Um I also love Mark. What was it? Ethiopian one. Um, Paul said it was, it looked a bit, what was the word he used? Scruffy. But I thought it looked like it was a whole mounded, um, sort of moulded piece of pottery. I thought it was great. And Rowan's, I mean, who could fail to love his flashing light? <laughs> just, it just made me smile so much. <laughs> Dan, for you, was that what kept him in it? Just that bit of ingenuity, maybe. 
Oh, I don't know. I think Rowan kept Rowan in it. I think we all like Rowan. I think uh, we need Rowan to be in the show. Um, I have to say, I really like the challenge. When I first saw it on paper, I did sort of think, oh, God, you know, flashbacks to, to Biscuit Chandeliers. But I think it was quite manageable. And the ones that stood out for me, probably because it was the way I would have done it, and I know, I think I'm going to get a name wrong, which, Her, Hermine? Um, is that it? Is that how you pronounce it? Um, but when she dipped the cups in the uh, the royal icing and then when it dried, painted a design on it, that's exactly what I would have done. And I thought that was beautiful. And it, I think she might have, I think some of her other bits were a little bit scrappy. And I think she would have, she could have done a lot better if she'd just been a bit neater because some of her ideas were brilliant. And I think we should be watching out for her because I think her decoration is going to be fantastic. And I would just say, Again, obviously, Dave's was amazing. And I was really blown away by Dave this week because last week, you know, we only really knew him for having his cakes knocked over, bless him. And he sort of a, a seemed like seemed like a bit of an also-ran in the competition, very much middle of the pack. And then he just came through this week and just won the technical and smashed the showstopper. And I think now we have to, we have to look out for Dave and take him seriously and think, you know, maybe this guy's going to be around for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have gone much better for him this week. Howard, what did you make of the uh, breakfast table that, that Mark made? It was solid and it got really great feedback from, from Paul, didn't it? Even though it was perhaps a more simpler idea than some of what else was going on in the tent. Yeah, I think sometimes um, simple is good. And I, th I think he'd done it in a very um, impressive way. So I, I think it had a style to it, almost like a sort of... Um, cartoony animated way of doing it so the uh, the toast and everything look that it, it wasn't going for realism it was going for a, a kind of artistic interpretation um but yeah it, it had a, a as i say a great style to it which i i liked i also want to do a quick shout out for linda because Hers was so pretty and so delicate. Uh, the piping into the sort of floral, lacy shapes. I thought that looked, looked lovely. I'm really glad to see her find her feet this week as well. Um, but I thought last week, Dave looked as though he was a bit of a rabbit startled in the headlights, I thought. And unsurprising, the tent is a weird and wonderful place when you first walk into it. And they all seemed a bit more at home this week, um, which is possibly why Dave Dave sort of shone, he settled and um, gave us some of his best stuff. I thought he was absolutely brilliant this week. I think the only person, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I think the only person who sort of um, maybe let themselves down a little bit was Mac. And I think this is a key distinction. Um, you don't want to try for too hard. You don't want to try and do too much. But at the same time, you still have to do the challenge. Mm -hmm. And Mac didn't really actually mould anything. He tried to cheat around the challenge and construct something with flat pieces. And I think that was, um, I think that's really what was his downfall on this one. And it was a shame because he had some nice ideas, but he just didn't really do the challenge. And that's an important point, right? There's a very clear direction of what they're looking for and if you avoid it does it run the risk of looking like you're avoiding it because you might not have had the skill set that is a surefire way like if you look at for you i don't know if you remember our season two years ago now but um it was on the uh danish week and manon made french bakes on a danish week 
And that annoyed the judges because there's a task. And if you don't do the task, I think you're shooting yourself in the foot because you're not going to get away with not doing what you're being asked to do. And I don't know if that's what you want in your podcast, Josh, but I'm here to deliver truth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we love a bit of truth, Dan. It's at that point in the in the podcast where Howard, we we come to you to find out what your hump was this week. You already alluded that there could have been a couple of things. So, what did you decide was going to get your hump? And last week, you sort of dodged the question, and I won't let you dodge it again. Right. So, I've I've, I've got to have a hump this week. My hump uh, was something that I noticed, and now I shan't be able to watch Bake Off without listening for it for this again. Now, I know certain people have. Um, we'll, we'll know that at a certain point in time, I had a bit of a crush on Paul Hollywood. And I may have, <laughs> <laughs> I may have sort of fantasised about various outfits that Paul might wear. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what you're going to say the there. One, <laughs> the, one, the one that I wouldn't have thought about was overalls. And now I can't stop thinking about it because he literally says overall so many times. So he says, overall, I think you've done a really good job there. Overall, I think you've done a decent job. Overall, I think you've done an amazing job. Overall, a great job. Overall, you've got really nice flavours. And I'm thinking, just stop saying overall. <coughs> I won't be able to watch an episode of, of Bake Off without listening for Paul <laughs> saying overall. Talking about the Star Baker this week, was it a foregone conclusion that it was going to go to Dave? I don't think anyone else was even in contention, really. Um, and I think the thing is, he—he, he, I think he came into his confidence. I think that was it. I think he, obviously, everybody works incredibly hard. Um, but if you don't come in with confidence, you know, it, it's easy to trip up. And he came in with confidence. He delivered well. He did uh, the, the fantastic technical. And I think that gave him the confidence to know that he could pull off his showstopper. And he did. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone else was close. I, do, I really don't think anyone else was in contention, or certainly from what we saw. I also love the way that, that Dave looked when he received some, some positive feedback. He's got this really little sweet smile like a little boy. I'm not saying he's smug in any way, but you can see how much he appreciates being told that he's done a good job on something. I think, I think it's so very sweet. Well, if there was perhaps little debate about who the star baker was going to be, there was definitely an air of fear I had for Rowan, but it proved unfounded, Dan, in the end. And what what did you make of the decision, Mac? Uh, Yeah, so I think it was a fair decision, and I really think um, it probably came down to the fact that, as I said, Mac didn't really try to sculpt anything. And I think if you don't... Um, you know, Rowan's wasn't amazingly spectacular, but he did do a very large sculpted biscuit that, you know, there was real jeopardy there and he pulled it off. Um, Mac didn't, Mac tried to avoid doing the difficult thing. And I know from personal experience that the judges hate that. They'd rather see you try and fail than not try. And I think, you know, he what he did was lovely, but it wasn't the challenge. And I think that is, uh, you know, that would have probably it. That was probably what made it the decision. 
Jane, do you agree with that? I absolutely agree with Dan on his comments about Mac. So in spite of having a good technical, you know, um, he didn't have a very good signature and he just did not hit the brief. And I think if there's one thing that's going to stick you right at the bottom, it's not hitting the brief. And everybody else, I just want to mention Lottie here having to unmold her boat. I made a boat in my business biscuit week and I, you know, nothing like Lottie's. It was pretty impressive. Um, yeah, you're all struggling and everybody's trying to get them out of their molds. Um, and Mac didn't. I, I liked his square teapot but it wasn't the brief and that was the thing at the end that tipped him over. Um, I, I loved Rowan's handle on his lighthouse. I thought it was a genius the way it sort of slotted into the, to the main bit of the lighthouse. So, but going to Laura, I have to agree with Paul. I mean, it looked really simple, didn't it? I mean, you, you had a stand that you put your biscuits on and then you put a bit of brandy stuck around the middle and a couple of, I can't remember what else there was, a couple of cups or something. Yeah, that wasn't enough for a four-hour showstopper. I think um, she was lucky that Mac didn't hit the brief because otherwise she could have been in danger. I, I was used to say in, in weeks one to nine, you only have to be better than one other baker in the tent. And in week 10, you have to be better than two. And I think Laura dodged a bullet as well. And, and hopefully next time she will just up her game a bit. But poor Mac, I really loved him. I thought he was such a nice man, um, as indeed they all are. Um, but, you know, had to go, I'm afraid. Howard, even coming third there in the technical, um, didn't save him. Was it the right decision as well for you? I think it was. I think it's it's very sad because I know in our year um, there was one person who left simply on the basis that they just not really hit the brief. Um, and it's it's awful if you if you've deliberately avoided the brief because you find it too difficult. That's one thing. Um, but I think sometimes if you've interpreted the brief wrongly and then you've committed to actually doing that on the day, um, it, it, it's, it's quite heartbreaking, really, because you, you sort of know you've, um, you, you've basically signed your, uh, you know, you signed your destiny, really. Well, look, it's been a fantastic series so far. We've loved the opening two episodes. So glad we've still got eight left. Dan, thanks for joining us today before you go down we should reference that you too like howard and like jane Wilby, have been doing online classes uh, for bait with a legend in the, in the last couple of months you've taught a batterbird cake that was extremely popular you've done a macaron class we've got pastel donata coming up the macarons are back by popular demand you taught a group of lawyers how to make um, eclairs last week how have you found these online classes and uh, what can we expect from some of the ones coming up um, yeah, no, I, I really enjoy doing them. I am, uh, I have for many years and will continue to be a student of baking and I love sharing my knowledge. I genuinely love teaching the classes. Um, I get really into it and jabber away for hours. Uh, we're getting better at keeping them to time. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm absolutely loving them. And, uh, we've, uh, got some fun tech in, in my kitchen. So we've got some nice camera angles, uh, that we can show off for, for you guys. And I'm just as long, I'm just loving the fact that people want to do them. And, um, I think maybe we'll be bringing that Battenberg class back now. I don't know. Should we, do you think we'll run that one again? I think there'll be a yeah. bit more interest. 
definitely we've already asked saw some comments on your social media down in the last couple of days asking for it to return so we will definitely have to find a, a date for that between uh between now and the end of the year to to bring that back and i have to say anyone thinking about doing a class with dan you will enjoy the multitude of camera angles that are available <laughs> and included that the the effort you've put in into effectively what feels like an in-house video production of of angles is is absolutely extraordinary so thank you for the efforts going on there dan and we look forward to those classes if you do want to find out any more it is baitwithlegend.com forward slash online classes as you may have heard at the beginning of this podcast if you use the code podcast at checkout you get 10 percent off as well so that's it for this week's podcast. We'll be back next Wednesday. If you have any questions for us and you'd like us to read them out or answer your queries, be they about the show or baking in general, we'd love to try and help. It is the bakedown at bakewithalegend.com. Wish you all a great week and we'll be back next Wednesday. just heard a stripped media production. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.